We'll be in Habakkuk today. Habakkuk, one of the minor prophets toward the end of the Old Testament, is Nahum, Habakkuk. If you find Nahum, just turn right and you'll be right there. While you're finding Habakkuk, let me tell you a true story, something that happened back in 1919. Eddie Rickenbacker was the ace of World War I for the American forces. He had 26 kills in the old biplane back in those days, and he was a national hero. He won the Medal of Honor, all sorts of other military medals. He was quite the guy. He was a race car driver later in life. He was an advisor to the military on the new Army Air Corps that was just getting started and developing. And he later ran Eastern Airlines for years and years and years. He was a national hero and all-American guy. He died in 1973 of a, a full life. And he was quite the guy, a hero for at all standards. And during World War One, he was one of the guys that was continually in the news in America. And so uh, toward the end of the war, they didn't, of course, know when it was going to end. They didn't want anything to happen to Eddie, so they wanted him to come back and get on a PR tour to encourage young people to join the Army Air Corps. And in those days, they had just flown the Atlantic for the first time in an old C-4 Army plane, and the first time it had flown over the Atlantic, and they thought, well, if anybody can fly over the Atlantic again, it'd be old Eddie. So they put him in a C-4, and, and he took off to fly over the Atlantic to land in New York. Well, along the way, he had some engine problems, and they went down in the Atlantic. He and two other guys were in this raft, and they were floating around, not knowing where they were, not knowing they'd ever be found. Of course, they were waiting on him to come and land in New York. It was national news, and they knew when the plane didn't land that they had sent out a search party, but big ocean out there, and they didn't know if they'd be found in time. And one day led into another, and then into another, and the sun was beating on them every day, and night would come, and another day they lost track of time. And one day, Eddie was, they were about gone. As a Christian, he had prayed for God to deliver him, deliver them, and he put his faith in the Lord. He was getting weak, and they were just barely hanging on. One day, he was leaning against the back of the raft, and he saw a black speck on the horizon, and he watched it. He fixed his eye on it for a long time, and it got a little bigger and a little bigger, and after a while, he saw it was moving around a little bit. He kept his eye on it, and after a while, he saw that it had wings, and it was a bird, and then as it got closer, he said, that's a seagull, but we're far too far from land for a seagull to be out here. And the seagull came, and he landed right in the middle of the raft. Well, these guys grabbed it, plucked it, and ate it in no time. It was just enough sustenance to keep them alive for the, the ship to come to rescue them. Great story of God's deliverance, praying and seeing answered prayer, and, and what a blessing it was, and it was an inspiration to everyone who heard it in those days, and still today when you hear that story, you're, you're thrilled by it. And I thought about that, and I thought about the trials and troubles we go through, and we do. You get a bad diagnosis from the doctor, and suddenly your life may change. Maybe that long life you plan may not quite be so long. The word cancer is often used, and it brings a lot of fear into us. What do we do? Well, we turn to the Lord. We ask him to provide a way to overcome this, to be able to live long with our families and our loved ones. You think everything's set for life and you've got plans to retire and suddenly something happens and those finances are gone or you're working and you lose your job or something happens and you're a farmer and there's one drought after another one after another one and suddenly things are looking bad and you turn to the Lord and ask him to deliver us or you have a relationship that your life is based on and built on and suddenly 
that relationship changes and that person's gone and they leave or whatever happens and you cry out to God with a broken heart, God, what do I do? And sometimes a seagull comes. Sometimes God answers your prayer. Isn't that a blessing? We can all testify to that. I believe the, the Lord answers prayer. And time and time again, we can testify to that. And I believe that we're blessed to have the seagull come into our lives from time to time. But the question I want to talk to you today about is what happens when the seagull doesn't come? What happens when God's answer is no instead of yes? God always answers our prayers. Sometimes he says no. I think about David. David sinned with Bathsheba and had a child and a little boy. The little boy got sick. What did David do? Well, David prayed that the boy would be healed. He prayed and he fasted and he prayed and he wouldn't eat and the boy died. I think about Paul. Paul had a thorn in his flesh and he asked three different times, God, take this from me. It was interfering with his ministry. I think it might have been bad eyesight. I don't know. Some evidence in scripture could be that. The Lord said, no. The answer is no. Somehow you're going to have to let my grace be sufficient for you. Sometimes the answer is no. And we have to ask ourselves, what do we do? What do we say? How do we respond when the seagull doesn't come? What do we do? We live in a day where we hear a lot of different messages, and there's a message out there, not only on the airways, but in most communities, prosperity gospel. I know you've heard it. Nobody's supposed to get sick. Nobody's supposed to go without it. Health and wealth is for all believers. Well, the truth is, that's just not so. Jesus wasn't wealthy, didn't want to be wealthy. Every disciple died a cruel death, except for John, who was on an island all by himself. First century Christians were under Nero's persecution. Horrible things happened again. Christians have been persecuted throughout history. And bad things happened since the fall of man. We chose that when man sinned. And sin came into this world and death came into this world. What do we do when the seagull doesn't come? What do we do? How do we handle that? I believe we can find what we need in the scripture today and in the scripture reading that was read. What a blessing it is. God knows how to put things together and plan things. First of all, I'd like for us to look at the problem that we find in Habakkuk. In the first four verses, Habakkuk, a prophet is speaking, he says, The burden which Habakkuk the prophet saw, O Lord, how long will I cry and you will not hear? Even cry out to you violence and you do not save. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble for plundering and violence are before me? And there is strife and contention arises. Therefore, the law is powerless and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, perverse judgment proceeds. Now, it says this is a burden that Habakkuk saw. This is something that there was a heavy weight on him. When he saw the sin of the people, when he saw what the people were doing, he didn't like it and he confronted the people, and he prayed for them, and, he laid, and God didn't do anything in his eyes, and he didn't see God doing anything. And the more he prayed and the more he addressed it, the more of a weight it became on his shoulders and on his heart. This was a burden, and he cried out. How long will I cry? You won't listen. I cry violence, and you don't save. And he talks about what it was like. He talks about uh, iniquity and trouble and plundering and violence, contention, strife, and wickedness all over. Let me give you a quick historical setting to show you just exactly where we are. You know the history of Israel. Israel was one nation, and they decided to pull away from one another, and ten tribes took the name Israel, and they were the northern kingdom. 
two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, were the southern kingdom, and they took the name Judah because Judah was the larger of the two. Over 100 years before this time, God had sent prophetic people. He had sent preachers. He had sent prophets. He had sent all kinds of people to proclaim, repent, repent to the northern kingdom. They were following and worshiping Baal. Baal was a fertility god, and ungodly things were happening. Even child sacrifices were going on. They were worshiping the god of Asherah, uh, little good luck gods that were on every hill. And they put their hearts in the gods of the pagan people rather than Yahweh God, their own true one God. And they wouldn't turn their face. They wouldn't repent. They wouldn't turn around. And in time, God sent the Assyrians to come down to defeat them and to drag them off into bondage. Now, it didn't happen in the southern kingdom because they were more righteous. They were serving God, not perfectly, but a whole lot better than they were in the north. And a little over 100 years pass, and here's the southern kingdom doing the exact same thing. Here's Judah doing the exact same thing. Now, you read scripture and say so-and-so was a good king, and so-and-so was a wicked king. They'd had a series of bad kings. They had bad leadership, and it got worse and worse and worse, and people followed the leadership that was there. And they began to do ungodly things before the Lord. Uh, here is Habakkuk. You don't see one word in here about repentance and calling the people to repent. At this point, he just wants God to do something to them. How long will I cry and you won't listen? And I cry violence and you won't save. Now, I don't know about you, but I know you hear old people say, if you're a young person, you're saying, oh, no, here comes another old person talking about the good old days. But I remember growing up in the 50s, there was something different about Sunday. Now, my family wasn't a Christian family, and we went to church Sunday on Easter and Christmas, or maybe Easter and not Christmas, or we might miss them both on some years. But we went occasionally, but there was something different about Sunday. I didn't want to get out of the house till about 1.30. I didn't want anybody to be going to church and see that I didn't go. You remember? You remember those days? There was something different. People honored the Lord, and they didn't know why. They honored one another. There was respect. I could go on and on. That's another old man up there talking. Things have changed, and I don't recognize this country like I did before. We can see what the prophet's saying, and we can understand it. Some of the things they're doing are different from the things we're doing, but I'm telling you, we're doing just as bad as they were doing. The same things they were doing, we see if we look close enough, we're doing the same things. Mankind always reverts back to rebellion without a continued dedication to the Lord. That's a problem. But there's also the path that God had, the plan that God has. Preachers have to be sure everything starts with the same letter, so this had to be a P. It's God's path. This is God's plan. Let's pick this up in verse 5. We're going to look at some verses, selected verses through the book. God responds to what Habakkuk said. He said, look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astonished, for I'm doing a work in your days that you would not have believed, though it were told to you. Indeed, I'm raising up the Chaldeans. You say, who are the Chaldeans? Well, they're the Babylonians. That's Nebuchadnezzar and all that group. You remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the burning furnace? Remember he called in representatives from all over the world, every country in the world. They literally were the most powerful nation in the world. God is the one who raised them to that position. And he did so for one purpose, to pass his judgment on the nation of Judah. That's why. Him raising up the Chaldeans. In the next verses, he describes them, and it brought fear into the very bones of Habakkuk. He says their horses are swifter than leopards, and their chariots come from afar. That means there's so many of them, you can't count them. 
It says that they laughed at kings and princes, and they marched through cities like sand, and the horde of their faces move on. That means they're not unstoppable, completely unstoppable. There's not anything you're going to be able to do about this. There's no one else like this on this earth. I am raising up the Chaldeans. When God does a job, he does a good job. What did Habakkuk do? He did what we probably would have done. He began to bargain with God. You ever bargained with God? He started bargaining with God in verse 12. He says, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, the Holy One? We shall not die. No, this can't be. You say we're going to die. No, we shall not die. He can't believe it. He says, O Lord, you've appointed them for our judge. O God, you've marked them for correction. Are you of pure eyes? than to behold evil and cannot look upon wickedness? Why do you look upon those who deal treacherously and hold your tongue when the wicked devour a person more righteous than he? It's fascinating. The people that were wicked, that were surrounding the righteous and nothing but perversion, the people that were so bad now are the righteous. Perspective shows us a lot about how we see things and how we think. Suddenly, God's people were going to be destroyed. God's people were going to be overcome. And they became the righteous despite themselves and the things that they were doing. Then in the following verses, we find a warning. There's going to be six different woes here. Woe to these people. Woe to these people. It means this is going to happen to those folks. This is going to happen to these people. Some of these woes are about the Babylonians, the Chaldeans. Some of them are about God's people. God is just telling them back that this is going to happen. It's a done deal. It's coming. And we see the summation in chapter 3, verse 16, when Habakkuk says, When I heard my body trembled, my lips quivered at the voice, rottenness entered my bones. Don't you like the descriptive language of the Old Testament? is decay in his bones. He was so frightened. And I trembled in myself that I might rest in the day of trouble. When he comes upon the people, he will invade them with his troops. So when I heard it, I couldn't stand it. I've never been so fearful in all my days. I've been around a lot of people that have felt that way, people that have lost children, people that have dealt with horrible issues and come face-to-face with things, and they don't know whether they're going to be able to make it another step. I don't know if you've been there before, but it's a hard place to be. And that's what the situation was. That's the way it was with Habakkuk. That's the way it was going to be with everyone when the news was out. The Chaldeans are coming. The problem is coming. It's coming to a head. And sometimes in our lives, we have to realize the seagull doesn't come. And sometimes we have to face things that we're not ready for. God didn't promise us that we'd have a life without problems, but he did promise us that he would walk with us along the way. So how will we respond when the seagull doesn't come? How do we respond when God says no? I want you to look at the proclamation of uh, Habakkuk beginning in 17. And let's kind of dissect that and see if we can glean something from it that'll help us. He says, though the fig tree may not blossom nor fruit on the vine, though the labor of the olive may fail and the field yield no food, though the flock may be cut off in the fold and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I'll rejoice in the Lord. I will join the God of my salvation and the Lord shall be my strength and make my feet like deer's feet and he'll make me walk on high hills. He's talking about High places. What did Habakkuk say when you really look at it? He said, if I have to die the slowest death possible, if there's no food and there's no olive, there's no drink, there's nothing to eat, nothing to drink, and I have to die over a long period of time and I suffer, 
no matter how bad it might get, no matter how much it might feel inside, no matter how unhappy I may be, I will have joy in the Lord. First thing we can do is choose joy. And this is something you choose ahead of time. This is something you choose before the catastrophe comes. We choose if we're going to have joy in the Lord. I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. I will have joy in my God, the God of my salvation. We choose joy ahead of time so that we can walk even when times are bad, when we're not happy, when we may even die of starvation and we may have all of these pains and we may suffer and die, but yet we're going to die knowing God loves us. He's giving us strength. He is encouraging us in our heart and our soul. We're being a witness. We're working our way to heaven as we're affecting people around about us and encouraging them. We can have joy in the Lord in the midst of all of our trials in life. We can choose joy. The second thing is be faithful. He says, the Lord is my strength. He couldn't do it on his own, but he's going to choose to be faithful in the strength of the Lord. And he'll make my feet like hind's feet as he walks on high places. Hind's feet, he's talking about the mountain goat. We saw a mountain ghost last night. We saw him on a mountain, and just they can go by little passes that aren't any bigger than this. And they don't fall. No other animal can do that. And their front feet are trying to go, and the rocks are falling and slipping, but they don't fall because their back feet, their hind feet are secure. They're secure. And that's what God does for us. We can be trying to be faithful and doing the best we can, and we may stumble a little bit. We may knock off some rocks. We might slip a little bit. But yet we're not going to fall because God's our strength, and he's our hind's feet. We can't see him, but he's there, and he's keeping us stable. He's keeping us firm. He's our firm foundation. And we can choose to have joy, and we can choose to be faithful today before tragedy may come in our lives and the seagull not come. Now, that's just an option, but what other option do we have? So many people want to say, well, I don't know. I'll, I'll trust the Lord when in my later days after I've lived for a while and tried this and tried that. Well, I'll be faithful during that time. Until that time, I'll, you know, I'll wait a while. But tragedy hits, and we're not ready. And God says, no, prepare now. Choose joy. Choose faithfulness now. Have joy in your life now. Serve the Lord right now. And then if problems do come, and God answers prayer. But if he doesn't, if he answers no, you'll be ready. And you'll have joy and faithfulness. Two things is all God wants from us. You know, we're a blessed people, and we can look back and see Different people and how they've inspired us. I think of Robert and Elaine Tidmore, they're friends of mine, right after I became a Christian. And they uh, were in their early 30s, never been married before, either one of them. They, they found one another, got married, and they wanted to start a family real quick. And they had little Toby. Toby uh, was nine months baby. He looked healthy as he could be. Found out he had some problems. He had some holes in his heart. They worked on him and operated on him and operated on him. And he lived about a month and passed away. Service was at the church, and Robert got up, and Elaine got up and visited and talked to us. They had tears coming down their face. But yet they talked about the joy in their heart. They talked about the victory that Jesus gave them, and they talked about the support the church had been, and they talked about things that people said to them and what an encouragement that was. And they talked about the Word and how the Scripture spoke to their heart and how the Holy Spirit led them through those times. And they were victorious from the beginning of that experience all the way through later they were blessed with other children they had a wonderful family but i remember sitting there as a brand new christian saying god i need what robert and elaine tidmore have i don't know how to get it i don't know what it is but i know i need that that's what it is 
to choose ahead of time to have the joy of the Lord and be faithful day by day. Now, it starts with salvation. I don't know if there's anyone here who's not yet received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but that's where this journey begins. And if you've not yet received the Lord, I want to encourage you to not put that off.